When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Chicago Audible podcast, changing up the way Bears fans stay up to date on their favorite team since 2015. Now get ready. Because it's time to bear down. Welcome, Bears fans, to another episode of the Chicago Audible, and welcome to our fourth annual end-of-season award show, albeit this is the first one under the new name, but today we take a look at the 2018 season and hand out 20 awards each. I'm Rose Woldewitt, and tonight I'm joined by my esteemed co-hosts, Brandon Hazlett and Nicholas Moriano. Gents, it's been a tough week, losing on Sunday, losing Vic Fangio here just the other day. But other than that, are how you feeling? You ready to roll out the Navy carpet? I'm excited to walk on the Navy carpet. I don't know that I've necessarily seen a Navy carpet, really. So There's a first time for everything. True. There is a first time for everything. But yeah, let's, uh, I guess, I mean, Willie just talked about losing, losing Vic Fangio. So now let's end it like on a high note, giving out some awards, having a fun time. Because as a Bears fan, it's been kind of rough the past, you know, couple of days here. Yeah, it has, to say the least. But like you said, it's time to pick ourselves up. We have a long off season ahead, so to kick it off, we're going to do this award show. But before we dive in, I just want to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's one of the best ways to ensure that you don't miss any of our offseason content. Our goal before the start of next season is 7.5 thousand subscribers, so make sure to subscribe if you haven't yet. But guys, it's time to begin our award show, and let's begin like we do each and every year and take a moment to acknowledge the records that were broken throughout the season. And Brandon, if I remember correctly, I handed this over to you last year, and that was a debacle, but are you ready to handle this? Uh, I am not, actually. (laughs) Two years in a row. The debacle number two. (laughs) I am just going to have to just own the broken records from this point forward. So we have four broken records here, technically five, but I threw uh, two in the one here. But to begin, Allen Robinson in the postseason, Um, He had 145 receiving yards in that Eagles game, which was the most in Bears history for a single playoff game. He passed Willie Galt. He had 110 in Super Bowl 20. Trubisky in the postseason as well in that playoff start. He broke two single game records um, in passing yards with 303 and 26 completions. So both of those are now Bears records. So for Trubisky to do that in his first ever playoff game, phenomenal. 
Matt Nagy, of course, he has the most wins by a Bears rookie head coach with 12. The previous record was 10, set by Papa Bear way back in 1920. And Trubisky, this season, he had four games of 300 or more passing yards, which ties the team record with Bill Wade and Jay Cutler. All right, so before we get into the awards, I figured it'd be kind of fitting to take a moment to do an in-memoriam for those that who we've lost, like they do for actual award shows, a.k.a. Vic Fangio. So guys, let's just go around the horn, take a moment to thank Vic and maybe share something about him as you know, obviously he's already missed. And he's going to continue to be missed here in Chicago. So Brandon, since you debacled the record for two <laughs> years in a row now, I'm going to go to Nick and you are officially in timeout. Oh. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but yeah, like you said, well, we did lose Vic Fangio, uh, the wizard, the mastermind of this great bears defense since 2015. And he's, he's deserving of it though. Just seeing him up there, give his, uh, you know, press conference for the Denver Broncos. I just have a feeling he's going to do great things in Denver. And I hope he does, except for the one week, the bears go to Denver in 2019 to face them. But you wish Vic all the best. He deserves to get that be one of 32 people in the world who is a head coach of a national football team. So he's deserving of it. I wish he could have stayed because who knows what this Bears defense could have been, especially because they just got Khalil Mack this year, Roquan Smith, A. Jackson was an MVP candidate at one point. Kyle Fuller had a resurgence in his career. All these things are set for Vic Fangio to take reign and just take hold of it. Then who knows where this Bears defense would have ended up in, you know, just being some of the best in Bears history. But he is gone. You wish him the best of luck in Denver, and we'll see what ends up happening with the Bears and their new defensive coordinator. Yeah, to be determined for sure. But with Vic Fangio, of course, you have to thank him for everything that he's done here. He took over defense that for two years prior of his arrival, it averaged uh, 30th in yards per game and 30. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur Pedic, our first system that detects snoring then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. First in points per game in the league given up. And then each year, it steadily was an uptick. And this past season, of course, the Bears finished third in yards per game allowed and the best defense in terms of points per game allowed. So for him to take a defense that was old and aging to get a youth infusion, to work with them, to develop this talent, to turn them into a top three defense. It was quite phenomenal to watch here in Chicago throughout his time. So there's really no way to say thank you for that because there was a moment for a couple of years when defense did not matter in Chicago. But now it does again. It's something that the Bears are known for yet again. Is there a great defense? And hopefully whoever comes in can kind of can keep this up, can sustain the success on that side of the ball. There's a lot of talent, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't thank Vic Fangio for developing that talent we have here. Because like you said, Nick, he revived a guy like Kyle Fuller. He brought in a guy like a Bryce Callahan, who is an undrafted free agent and turned him into a very strong nickel corner. Same thing with like even a Bilal Nichols this year. Just some surprise players along the way. Yes, he got some talent like a Danny Trevath and a Khalil Mack. But look at the progress you saw from even a, a Prince of Mukamara in his second year in the, in the system as well. So for a guy who can get the most out of his players, it's surely going to be missed. 
But again, you have to thank him for everything he did here in Chicago. And like you said, Nick, I'll cheer for him each and every week. He is in a different conference besides the one game, maybe two, if we ever meet up in the Super Bowl, which that would be a fun story as well. But for me, Vic Fangio, best of luck. Thank you for everything here in Chicago. B, you're out of timeout. Anything you want to add about Vic? Yeah, I mean, when you think about Bears' classic defenses, uh, you think of 85 with Buddy Ryan. He was the mastermind behind that one, naturally with all the players on it as well. Uh, 2006, when the Bears went Lovey Smith, uh, you know, head coach was, you know, had to run his cover too. You know, there's always a mastermind behind these great defenses. And I think we can throw Vic Fangio in that conversation with historically good Bears defenses. And like you said, from what this team, the defense was when he arrived to what it is now, it's just remarkable thing that he's done. Granted, it all takes time. Like I said, from the very beginning, when we started the podcast on a new name, probably when most of you weren't even watching us said, you know, all this takes time. Rome wasn't building the day and this just a prime example of Vic Fangio building up a very, very great defense. And he definitely deserves this job uh, out in Denver. I was kind of surprised that he even got it because it goes against the mold of what I think a lot of people are looking for with the young offensive minded guys. So for Denver to go out and get an older defensive guy, I think that kind of, uh, establishes that that culture is still around somewhere. So it's uh, good for Vic, uh, happy for Vic. And as long as we beat him, uh, then he can have all the success in the world out there. There we go. Yep, Rome was not built in a day. It was built within four years, and hopefully we don't see a fall of an empire here in Chicago under a new name. Again, the Bears defensive coordinator job, very sought after. They should be able to get someone in there that is going to allow that unit to not skip a beat. Again, we'll talk about this, I'm sure, in the next episode, but we need to get into the awards and for the 2018 season, usually we do 20. I actually added a 21st. The guys don't even know what it is. It's going to be our second to last award, just in case you're counting down at home. But let's begin with the first award. And that's going to go ahead and be my monster moment of the year. And it's going to be Bears Packers week 15. Three different plays in that fourth quarter are going to combine for my monster moment of the year. Number one, the game was tied at 14 midway through the fourth quarter. Trubisky to Trey Burton, that 15-yard beautiful ball touchdown to the corner of the end zone to put the Bears on top by a touchdown. That's going to be the beginning. Then after a quick three and out, Cohen returned the ball 44 yards inside the Packers 10. That led to a Bears field goal. Then they were up 24 to 14. And then soon after that, Eddie Jackson follows that up with the interception in the in the end zone to help seal that game. So all those plays are going to be my monster moment of the year because you beat Green Bay at home. You had club dub going on. The Bears were able to win the division against Aaron Rodgers. It's the best feeling you can have as a Bears fan other than moving on into the playoffs, potentially going to a Super Bowl. But in a regular season, that's as good as it gets. And I will admit, I know that Eddie Jackson play uh, did kind of come to bite us come in the playoffs because we did lose him. Um, but for the, just in that moment in the season, that was the best that I think we felt was finally to become division champs to go from worst to first and to do it against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So that's my monster moment of the year. Brandon, over to you. Do you have a stat of the season? I do, and I wanted one that would really reflect the season as a whole to just show how good this team was offensively and defensively. Uh, so that stat's going to be 138, and that's the point differential this season between the Bears and their opponents. And why that's a significant number is because this is the first time that that point differential has been a positive number since 2012 under Lovey Smith, uh, and that number then was a 98-point differential. And this is all the first time that, also the first time it's been over 100 since 2006, and the point differential that year was 172 points. Now, that was obviously a very good team. This is also a very good team. Uh, but to see, I think, under Mark Tressman, it was like negative 148 or something along those lines. It was a very, very low negative number when they went 5-11 and 11 that year. So to see it climb back from an incredibly low number all the way up to the highest that it's been since 2006, you know, 12 years ago, uh, I think that really shows how good of a 
a team this is. Uh, again, uh, credit to Vic Fangio and the defense for not allowing uh, him to get opponents uh, into the end zone, stopping them from getting there. And also Matt Nagy and Mark Helfrich for getting the offense into the end zone to put up points and, and really blow teams out of the water this year. So uh, it wasn't always quite the case in every game, but uh, that big point differential, uh, especially being over 100 since the first time since 2006, is my stat of the season just to show how far up and down we've gone in our time here in Chicago. Absolutely, yeah. All five losses come by a, uh, a combined 15 points. That's only three points per game on average in which we lost. But, Nick, over to you. Do you have a Nick's knack or a Nick's knack for the year? Got to go with a knack. Even though the year ended the way it did, 12-4 and four division champs. And I'm going to go with this year being the year that Vic Fangio and that defense took the next step in being a great defense, and that's by creating turnovers. 36, led the entire league. And if you look at all the years past, 2017, Total number of uh, turnovers, 22. They were number 13 in the league. Before that, 2016, only 11. They were dead last in the league. Go back and then to 2015, they had 17, which is 28th in the league. But this year, 36 turnovers, which was the second most turnovers total since 2015. Uh, only the Carolina Panthers defense that year, which they go to the Super Bowl with, had 39. So it's been the second most turnover since 2015, since Vic Fangio got here, that this defense was able just to create turnovers and lead the league in them. That's what was the difference between last year's defense and this year's defense. We had one that can just create turnovers, put the offense in good positions, or at times even score themselves. So that's going to be my knack of the year, and hopefully that it's still able to continue despite Vic Fangio not being there because, again, He's a great defensive coach, and you just hope that just everything that he brought to this culture now can just go to the next guy that can kind of take over. But we'll see what ends up happening. But the 36 turnovers, that's going to be my knack of the year. All right, moving on to number four. It's going to be our offensive MVB, which, of course, goes to the most outstanding offensive player. I'm curious to see exactly where you guys want to go with this. Brandon, you're up first. I want to go with Tariq Cohen. I the dude's just electric whenever he has the ball in his hands. And this year he had 169 touches on offense. He had 99 rushes for 444 yards and 71 receptions for 725 yards. And that 71 receptions uh, actually led the team this year. So the fact that a running back was able to lead the team in receptions, I think should say something. It's also something I think we expected coming in at training camp. Uh, well, not going into training camp, but once we got the training camp uh, throughout the preseason, kind of seeing where he was using this offense, we all got really excited and that he was really going to be a focal point of uh, this offense. And it showed, especially since he had 169 touches this year. And, you know, everyone had some sort of game plan for Tariq Cohen. Uh, and if they didn't, they'd get in trouble really quickly. And I look back to the, the New York Giants game when he had 12 receptions uh, for 156 yards and even threw a two-point conversion, a uh, successful two-point conversion in that one as well. Uh, also had eight rushes in that game as well for 30 yards. So, I mean, he literally just does, you know, everything that you ask of him to, especially that game just really stands out just because they didn't have an answer for the wheel routes to do was running consistently down the field. Uh, they gave it to him on the, the Philly special, whatever, uh, where he threw the ball. Uh, for a successful two-point conversion as well. So, I mean, he just is just so electric uh, whenever he has the ball. He can do so many things. Uh, just such a playmaker, and that's that's the reason why Tariq Cohen's going to be my offensive MVP. It's a shame he couldn't get more touches on Sunday, but we're not griping about that. <laughs> Nick, over to you, offensive MVP for 2018. And I have to agree with Brandon. I think it is Tariq Cohen. I think if you take out one player on the offense, and which will just take change the dynamics of it, I think it is Tariq Cohen. Regardless if he's getting the ball or not, he is a distraction and is allowing his other teammates to get open. So with Tariq Cohen, I, this is the guy that Matt Nagy was probably looking at, other than Mitch Trubisky, obviously, saying, I can do the most with him. 
How can I make him my Tyree kill? What can I do to put him in best positions to just exploit a defense? And look, you go back to that New York Giants game. You can just go back to different aspects of the season where maybe he's more utilized as a receiver this game, or maybe he's a running back. At least you have the option. And that's why I think he's deserving of this award because without him, really this offense, who knows what it really looks like and just where he's able to be so versatile. And just, again, defenses have to game plan for him each and every week. If you take out Tariq Cohen, you have a good chance of stopping the Bears' offense. And unfortunately, that's what probably was the case in this last game that just happened. And that's why the Bears weren't able to have their offense really going in that game. But for the most part, I think Tariq Cohen is what really makes this offense go for the Bears. And this was year one with Matt Nagy and Tariq Cohen and seeing how that worked. Finally, a bed that senses snoring and automatically responds. Meet the Ergo Smart Base from Tempur-Pedic, our first system that detects snoring, then automatically adjusts by raising the bed. Get your best sleep all night, every night. For a limited time, save up to $500 on select adjustable mattress sets and experience the deep, undisturbed sleep of Tempur-Pedic. Get full offer details at TempurPedic.com. And you see the numbers, the growth from the previous year to now this year with Matt Nagy. Let's see what year two is up in store for these guys, because you can only expect that the touches, the receptions, even though he got a lot of receptions this year, leading the team with 71, it can only go even higher than this possibly. So Tariq Cohen is deserving of the most valuable or most valuable bear. Sorry. Offensive, most valuable bear. OMVB. MVB. <laughs> there we go. For me, guys, I agree. Tariq Cohen, uh, there's a reason why he was so successful, uh, especially with those 71 catches. Uh, and it goes to the guy playing under center for the most part of this season, which is going to be Mitchell Trubisky. And he's going to be my offensive MVB for the second year in a row because for me, even though I can look at a guy like Allen Robinson who's averaging over 13 yards to catch, Jordan Howard did rebound to have almost a 1,000-yard season. It was hard to go anywhere but the quarterback because he was the driving force behind a lot of the team's success. He finished the regular season near the top of the league in terms of QBR, and we just know how impactful he's been. And to his credit, you know, it's really hard to fault him for any of the Bears' five losses this season. Mitch grew a lot in his second year under Matt Nagy. He counted for 27 total touchdowns on the year and 3,800 total yards when you kind of add what he brought in as a runner as well. And with an offense that had a hard time establishing a run for the good chunk of the season, it was Mitch who was spreading the ball around, getting into the hand of his playmakers. Uh, we saw his value for the two weeks where Chase Daniel started. That's what we knew what we had in Mitch Trubisky and what this offense was lack without him under center. So for me, those two weeks proved his value. But looking at the season as a whole, we proud of the season he was able to put together. And like Tariq Cohen, the same exact point here with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, with his first, next offseason here to learn this offense a little bit more, master it, He's just going to take another step forward. But for anyone who maybe doesn't deem his 2018 season a success, he needs to maybe just take a step back and reconsider because he had himself a very strong season. His first one under Matt Nagy, just like Tariq Cohen, it's only going to get better as they get more familiar with the system, as it gets tailored more to them. And, of course, the more they master it, the more they react and don't think. It's only going to get better in the future. So for me, Mitchell Trubisky, and if you want to do like the highlight, you can't go wrong with the Tampa Bay game with the five touchdown passes in the very first half if you're looking for the highlight of the season. All right, guys, moving on to number five. Of course, it's going to be the opposite here. It's going to be the defensive MVB, which goes to the most outstanding defensive player. Nick, you're up first. I mean, I think it's hard to not give this award to number 52, Khalil Mack. Just right when he got here, 
that week one Sunday night matchup against Green Bay, seeing what he was able to do, just take over a game. And he's done that consistently this season. That's, I think, deserving of this award. Someone that each and every play, you don't know whether or not he's just going to wreck the game for the opposing team. He's capable of that. You see the highlights when he's sticking out his arm, pushing out a 300-plus offensive lineman out of the air, and then going through a, a second block, taking that block, and then sacking the quarterback. That's what I when what I deem as an MVP of the of the defense is someone that just takes over. And that's Cleo Mack. And there's a lot of great defensive players in the on that team for the Bears, but I think he makes all those guys better because you have to throw the double teams that way. Because if you don't, he's going to wreck it for an offense. So I think Cleo Mack, everything that he's done, just elevating this defense, why these other players were to have the season that they did, well, it's because you have a defensive MVP candidate on that side of the ball, on one side where like I said, you don't double team them. You're re- you're gonna regret it probably the seconds later after that snap is in your quarterback's hands because most likely the quarterback's gonna be on the ground. The ball could be in Khalil Mack's hands and he could be going back for six like he did in that week one game against Green Bay. So I have to give it to Khalil Mack. I think he was the defensive MVP. B, are you on the Mack train? I was. Okay. And he definitely is deserving of it. But then I wanted to give some some love to a guy uh, who's had an up and down uh, time here in Chicago. And that's Kyle Fuller. I had to give him some love here because he's just played so well this year. He's going to be my defensive MVP because he led the team and had a career high with seven interceptions. Uh, same with passes defended. He had 21 passes defended this year as well. And we've seen it just throughout the year. I mean, teams would test him early and then they'd have to go to other receivers because Fuller was consistently playing blanket coverage on their guys. Even Aaron Rodgers late in games almost regretted throwing to Kyle Fuller almost, but I'm not here to gripe. Anyway, well, I'll gripe later. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I mean, I'll just you know give another highlight here uh, since that seems to be the theme. Uh, I go back to when we went down to Miami. He had two interceptions in that game that really kicked off his his interception streak, I guess. Uh, we could say because he had two in that game. He had six tackles. Then he had another one the following week against New England and then against Detroit. Uh, New York and against the Rams, he had an interception in those three games, you know, all in a row as well. So he just played absolutely lights out, stepped up to the stepped up to the opponent. Even if he was bigger, better, stronger, he found a way uh, to be competitive and shut these guys down, which is absolutely a great leader in the secondary to have. All right. For me, I'm sticking with the secondary as well, but I'm going to go with Eddie Jackson because boy, what a sophomore season it was for Jackson. There's a reason why he ended up being a pro bowler this year. And it was that knack of not just taking the ball away, oh, the two forced fumbles, the six interceptions, the fumble recovery, but he also had the ability to take them back to the house and finish the year with those two touchdowns on defense. His range on the back end of that defense too, guys, it made life difficult for any quarterback who wanted to try to find any sort of success down the field. And that's a big reason on top of the Bears pass rush that they were leading the NFL with the lowest passer rating allowed this season. And I want to take it a step further because, again, the theme is doing highlights. But I want to prove to you, Nick, you talked about Khalil Mack taking over games. Eddie Jackson can take over games because his turnovers came in some crucial situations. Let's look at the one to the Lions on Thanksgiving. That pick six, that sealed the win. Uh, and the same could be said and done with uh, the Vikings on Sunday Night Football. It was uh, He made it a two-score game midway through the fourth quarter with his pick six on Kirk Cousins. And, of course, I mentioned a one against the Packers that kind of sealed that game as well. But let's go all the way back to week three. The Bears were down to the Cardinals 14-3 to in the third quarter. And that's when Jackson picked off Bradford. And from that point forward, the Bears' comeback began. And they followed that up with a touchdown drive. And they ended up winning the game 16-14. to So just like... 
But Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson proved that he can turn around games. So for me, Eddie Action Jackson is going to be my defensive MVP. All right, guys. So up next, we're going to hand out the easy award, probably the easiest one we have all all throughout this entire show. It's going to be the Sid Luckman Award, which every year prior, we actually had a slight debate about who was the better quarterback. <laughs> if you want to go back to the Cutler Hoyer days, if that's still ringing uh, any you know music to your ears. But first, quick timeout. Got to tell you about our show sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can just be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's really hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats that you want for a price that you're willing to pay. There's something quite like being at a Chicago Bears game in person. And since we have all the way till September to even have that, multiple games, no matter where you are in the country, any sport, any concert, it's, it's just great to be there, trust me. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Something I really like about the SeatGeek app is the fact that if you're looking at a game and you back out of it and you're like, ah, I'll, I'll debate, I'll stew on these tickets for a little bit. If the prices drop... They'll let you know. Uh, I was looking actually at the Blackhawks game for this Saturday. Never been to a Blackhawks game at the United Center. We're planning on maybe going to Chicago, weather permitting. And I was like, let's go look at these tickets. And then I backed out. And then a couple of hours, I got a push notification saying uh, the average ticket price has just dropped 17% since the last time you looked. So they give you some updates if the ticket prices drops, which to me is a very convenient uh, way to make sure you're saving the most money possible. And on top of that, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And like you know, all of us at the Chicago Audible have the app on our phone, our devices, by far the easiest way that we've been able to shop for tickets, we can be anywhere within a few tabs, instantly find some seats. And the best part of all, our listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BEARS today. That's promo code BEARS, B-E-A-R-S, for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Alrighty, you're listening to the Chicago Audible. I'm your host, Will DeWitt, joined by my co-host, Brandon Hazlett, Nicholas Moriano. We are running through our 2018 and a season award show. And it's time to move on to our sixth award, which is going to be the Sid Luckman Award, which, guys, I don't think we have to think twice about this unless you want to talk about Anthony Miller and Tariq Cohen throwing the football this year. But, Nick, I'm going to go to you first. Obviously, it's Mitchell Trubisky, but why is he deserving? I guess I have to ask. <laughs> well, because Chase Daniel's the other option, and we already know who the best option of the two is. But Mitch Trubisky, just seeing what he's been able to do from week one in Green Bay, to this last game, and especially that fourth quarter against the Philadelphia Eagles, you saw the growth in what is a 24-year-old young quarterback. And just seeing each and every game, him some makes make some mistakes, then learning from those mistakes. And you saw a little bit of inconsistency, but I think for the most part, the way he ended this season, even though it ended the way it did, it's encouraging. It is encouraging to see him just go out there, throw some some footballs in places where it can only be in one spot or it's getting intercepted, and just bringing his team in a position to kick that 42-yard field goal to possibly win the game. That's what I like about Mitch Trubisky. He's, he's a gamer. He's going to go out there, give his all, whether he has to run for you know maybe 70 yards in a game in a couple touchdowns, or he's going to throw the ball into where in, in a spot where only his receivers can get it. That's, where, that's what I like from watching the season from Mitch because we, we know his rookie season. He was on a leash with that old coaching staff, but this one you saw Matt Nagy just trust him at times in games where it's like, Hey, look, just, you were going to, you're going to have to sling it a couple of times. And I go back to, I think, what was it? The jets game or where Matt Nagy's like that, that was special. 
Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of those moments this year with Mitch Trubisky. And that's what I just want to continue seeing from him. So Mitch Trubisky out of, you know, years previous, we had some controversy who would win this award. It's him. There's nobody else. There's no one contending for it. He is a Sid Luckman award winner here, but, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't much competition, though, to be to be pretty fair. Which is a good thing. We don't good want thing. that. And, of <laughs> course, the more consistently he's out there playing is a plus. I already kind of rehashed you know, everything why I thought he was going to be my MVB for the offense. I don't need to kind of do it again. But I want to add uh, that his ability to fight through injury is something that should not go unnoticed with either be his shoulder because he came back and you can tell he wasn't 100%, but he still wanted to go out there and play. And then even in this last playoff game, again, minor injury perhaps to his leg, but for him to go get that checked out, come back in, and you can tell he was a little bit more limited in the pocket than perhaps that we're used to seeing Trubisky, and he's still taking some shots, but he's still slinging the ball, delivering dimes in crucial situations late in a playoff game, his first ever playoff start. Just the testament of what kind of quarterback he is, what kind of mindset he brings. And there's a reason why the guys on that side, the other 10, look up to him. And those are exactly the reasons why he can, he can grit it out just like anyone else. And B, over to you. Do you have anything to add about Trubisky from this season? I just can't believe you guys don't have another Jay Cutler, Brian Hoyer, Matt Barkley debate over best quarterback. But uh, no, I, I got to save some points for an award that I've got him tagged under later. But, I mean, he just – just a different playmaker from different aspects of the season. When you look at it against green Bay, you know, week one, we didn't expect him to come out and be slinging the ball like that, put up those seven points right away, real fast off the scripted plays. And that was kind of, you know, the, the narrative that he's only gonna be able to do that then, but then he started making plays, you know, later in the game when things weren't necessarily scripted, he's, he's making these, these scrambles to, to pick up the, you know, keep the drive alive, move the chains, uh, things like that. nature. So just his ability to be a playmaker in different areas of the game uh, is really what makes him special as a quarterback. He's going to continue growing. He's going to be able to continue to do those special things. And then, like Nick said, it all came full circle in the fourth quarter against the Eagles, be able to lead the team back uh, under a minute left with no timeouts, get them in position to be able to kick that field goal. Uh, that says a lot about the quarterback. So he's he's improved a lot. All right, moving on to award number seven. It's the Olin Krutz Award, which goes to the best offensive lineman. And Brandon, I'd be remiss if I didn't give it to Mr. Trenches first. So go ahead and kick that off. I'm going to give it to the rookie in this one, James Daniels, because he only gave up two sacks this year and only had three penalties on him all year. So it's really tough to be much better than that, and especially when he's going up against some of the league's best in Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox. And I mean, being a, a guard, you've got some help from the center, which is totally understood. But the fact that he could come in in a position where we wasn't even sure if he was going to start at guard or center because he could play both. And we all wanted him to start at center so Cody Whitehair could move back to guard, if you remember that discussion. So uh, the fact that James Daniels came in, did what he did, you know, didn't hardly even throw a wrinkle on the offense. He was just he was there and he was just a solid rock throughout the entirety of the year at the at that left guard position. So uh, props to James Daniels for being able to uh, help predict Mitch's blind side. Yeah, and on top of that, he had to earn his way. Like they did not make that easy for him to just take that job. No. He was splitting reps for some time with Eric Cush at that left guard position. So I agree. And I don't that's not who I'm giving my award to, but I agree there's some good points as to why you could give it to a James Daniels, and I'm sure a fellow Hawkeye and Nick would not disagree, but I do believe you have a different offensive lineman, do you? I do, and I saw James Daniels. I'm like, all right, you know what? Let's put some diversity in here. I'm going to go with Cody Whitehair as the best offensive lineman this year. Remember coming into this season, 2018, what is what is Whitehair in the snapping issue going to look like for this season? Well, we just didn't know. We didn't know, honestly. But that wasn't an issue whatsoever this season. I think there were a couple instances, but – 
it wasn't like anything like last year. He really fixed that part of his game. And that was the part that people were questioning about white hair. Like, oh, maybe they should put Daniels at center. So white hair doesn't have to do that anymore. It's it messed up the offense. Of course, a bad snap is awful for any offense, any play. But that wasn't an issue. And I think for the most part, when you're looking at the interior of this offensive line for the Bears and the center, Cody Whitehair, he held his own with some of the best pass rushers in the league and, you know, did a damn good job at it. And just being able to eliminate that that thing that was messing with his game last year, especially those snaps, that is what he is deserving of being the best offensive lineman on here. And just, again, building that continuity with Mitch. They, they had something good going last year. They kept it going this year. And then the snapping didn't mess that up. So him being able to fix that issue and then just be, you know, consistent throughout the entirety of the season. Of course, Harry Heistad, the offensive lineman coach, is going to help you with that. But I think he was just very consistent throughout the entirety of the season. There wasn't any low points for Cody White here. Just a very consistent player. And that's why I think he's deserving of this award. I agree, actually. I originally had Charles Leno Jr., and the more I thought about it, Nick, you talked about the snapping issue, and that wasn't just something that carried over from last year. It did, but it carried over into training camp. It carried over into the preseason where his snaps were going over the head. They were low down near the ankles. They were throwing the offense off schedule consistently, and that's when we go back to the whole discussion like Brandon's talking about, like James Daniels, maybe give him a shot, but he, you know, and again, give credit to Harry Heastand for doing this, because uh, he changed how he held the ball and uh, pre-snap, mm-hmm. which, you know, that small adjustment had a large impact this season. But other than, you know, him figuring that out, you hit it right in the head, Nick. He was the most consistent offensive lineman that we had. He didn't have to worry about 65 doing, you know, anything bad. In fact, I believe he played 603 pass-blocking snaps, which was tied for the most on the team with Bobby Massey. Um, but he gave up less than half, uh, less than half of the pressures um, as the tackles did with only 10 all year, 10 pressures allowed. And, I get it. He's not going up against premier edge rushers, but still a very uh, notable feat here. And he also didn't allow a single sack or hit this year, at least according to pro football focus. And again, I'm just using that because they have some good stats here. Um, Some other places may have some discrepancies, but I like the zero and zero. So I'm going to go with it. Uh, So he's the only (laughs) bear to do that who played at least 300 pass block snaps. I think Eric Cush actually was on there as well, but he only played 240 pass blocking snaps. So for me, Cody, yeah, I agree. Nick, he put together a very strong season. He was the anchor up front, and yeah, I mean, the tackles, they had a very good season as well, and I'm going to talk about one in a moment, but if you're looking for consistency all year long, Cody, why here is your guy, which is fitting. He gets the Olin Kruitz Award, too, being the center. Just saying. All right, moving on to the most improved award. This award goes to the player that showed more progression than his teammates, and Nick, I'm going to go ahead and let you kick that one off. Yeah, so when I was thinking, there are a couple of guys that are definitely deserving of this award. But I don't think anybody really expected, even though he got the new deal coming into the season, that Kyle Fuller was going to have the season that he did be an all-pro corner, uh, be tied in the league for with seven interceptions, have as many pass breakups that he did, 21. And just seeing that because there was there was uh, conspiracy theories thinking like, oh, is he going to go to Green Bay? Is he even going to be on the team? Is he going to be cut? Well, Kyle Fuller really did shut down all all those naysayers and, you know, probably including us at times, whether or not we thought he was going to be the player that he was this season. But I just think that because of his resurgence, having the, the year that he did, Vic Fangio was able to do a lot more things defensively. We saw him maybe blitzing a little bit more because you have a guy like Kyle Fuller. He's going to read the quarterback's eyes and just jump routes. And he did that so well this season. There were some times where Kyle Fuller, 
was running the routes for the receiver and saying, thank you for the football. I'm going to take it the other way. Kyle Fuller, I think, is definitely deserving of this word because, yes, he had a good rookie season. And then everything in between up until now was very iffy with him. But I'm glad that the Bears signed him, that he had this last season with Vic Fangio. And, look, he got, he has his confidence back. He is the number one corner on the Chicago Bears. And I think when other teams come in here with those number one receivers, you know Kyle Fuller is going to be the guy on the opposite side of him trying to guard him. And that's a good feeling for Bears fans because I think he's really good at it, especially knowing that if he doesn't get the interception, he's got 21 passes defended. I think that's either tops in the league or, you know, amongst there. So Kyle Fuller, I think, is deserving of the most improved player. Very good choice there, Nick. I'm going to go on offense, and I'm going back to the offensive line here. I'm giving my most improved award to Bobby Massey because even though he did not win my best offensive lineman, I do believe that Massey was the most improved player on this team. He's always kind of been, in years past, a thorn in our side, but not in 2018. He played very, very well. In his first two seasons, he allowed, on average, 37.5 pressures, 6.5 hits, and 4.5 sacks. This year, almost cut in half. 25 pressures, only 2 hits, and 1 sack. Actually, the hits in the sack is almost down by like more than a half. It goes from 6.5 to 2 and four and a half to one. So he eliminated about 75% of his overall pressures and sacks. That's incredible. And again, it's all about that Harry Heastan kind of effect here. But for him to be coachable at this point of his career, to become a very strong right tackle, which even in the preseason, we're wondering, can Rashad Coward push for that job? But Bobby Massey proved that he can hold his own this season. And for someone who's always been kind of, you know, the butt of a joke, maybe in some years past early on in his time here in Chicago, he deserves all the credit in the world for finding a way to turn this season or turn his self around this season. And again, uh, maybe he should be back. Maybe he shouldn't, depending on the price. And we're going to talk about that in one of our upcoming episodes. But you got to give credit where credit is due. And that's to Massey for his uptick in play. So kudos to him for, again, being coachable at this point of his career and putting together his best year as a pro. B, over to you. Who's going to be your most improved? And the envelope says... <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. Uh, Matt Nagy said in his last presser that no one knows how much that Mitch has improved other than Coach Nagy. And I, you know, we're not there. We can't necessarily see how much he actually has improved, but you can see it just in the tape from the last 17, 18 weeks. He's always found a way to take down the narrative that was pinned on him, whether it was, you know, like I said earlier, he can only succeed on the scripted plays. Uh, to he can't throw left, to he's not accurate downfield, uh, to my all-time favorite personal one here. Uh, he just has so many yards this year because his receivers don't drop the ball. Well, that's kind of a, a sign of a good quarterback if you don't ask me. So, I mean, we've seen him grow week in and week out. He's been that playmaker in different areas of the game like I talked about earlier. Uh, and, you know, it, you don't just break the records that you talked about, Will, early on without having some sort of improvement, especially the playoff one where he threw for 303 yards. I mean, you don't just do that uh, as a semi-okay quarterback. Like, Rex Grossman never did that. So Mitch Trubisky had to have grown up somewhere, and we've seen it each and every week. It seemed like there was always something where, you know, oh, you remember at this point in the year when he was doing this or he was doing this, you know, I think he even, you know, relaxed the happy feet some in these uh, higher-intensity games, these later games, especially as we've seen early on when they had more of these later-night games when the lights were on. So it's uh, it's been nice to see him grow up in front of our eyes each and every week, and I think it's something we almost took for granted because – I mean, week one, he succeeded early in the first half, and then there wasn't much in the second half from the offense in that one. So I think we've seen a lot from Mitch this year. I think one of my favorite narratives was early on in the year, everyone's point was like, well, he's getting a lot of his yards from receivers like after the catch. 
And then they end the season with the fifth least amount of yak. And like, oh, well, that means he's not a good quarterback because he's not putting his players in a position to get additional yards after the catch. Like, well, which one is it? <laughs> right. All right, moving on, guys. Uh, so let's do the letdown player of the year. This goes to the player that we thought would have more of an impact but failed to leave their footprint on the season. Brandon, actually, right back to you. Rapid fire. Go ahead. I want to go with Kevin White on this one. I had a lot of higher hopes for him. He was healthy all year. Uh, we've seen what he did in training camp. We had that video of him going downfield, catching that that big bomb. I don't even remember who was throwing it because we were so mesmerized. Kevin White made the catch and then ran all the way into the end zone like he finished like he was supposed to. But he couldn't even hang on to do enough to become the number four wide receiver on this roster. Like I at least thought would be the minimum that he would be. Uh, I thought maybe he might be three over Anthony Miller. I'm glad I was wrong on that one, but I mean, he's, he's a nice blocking wide receiver. We've seen some, some nicer blocks from him. Uh, the only big time catch that people are really going to remember is when he was a yard short in the Hail Mary against the Patriots game. If he gets into the end zone on that play, it might be a different narrative for him uh, from that game. He might get some more playing time. Instead, he couldn't even get over Josh Bellamy. So uh, Kevin White, and I don't know how many times we've had him on uh, this award. I'm going to say four consecutive years, Kevin White makes this award. So uh, congrats, I guess. I guess. Hey, 20, we talked about this right before we went live. 23 yards yep. per catch on average. Four catches, though. That's that's the, that's the part of the letdown. But, uh, yes. Nick, I think unless you changed it, you and I are in agreement here, correct, with the tight end? We are in agreement. I think when – okay, I don't know if Bears fans actually know this. They should, maybe. Actually, he was a second-round draft pick, for those of you who may not know. You wouldn't know that, though, because career – Two years now in the NFL, 17 receptions, 175 yards, four touchdowns. That's, I mean, I guess. But Adam Shaheen, again, he gets injured this season. Last year he got injured. For a second-round draft pick, which we still don't know, there's still so much uncertainty with him. Is he actually going to be good? Is he someone that Matt Nagy actually sees being someone that can do some good things in his offense? We have no idea. There's such a small sample size with Adam Shaheen to where two years into his NFL career, I just couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. All I can tell you is that the Bears moved up to get him in the second round in 2017, and he hasn't really done much in an archaic offense and Matt Nagy's offense, which is up-to-date, has all these different intricacies, people in different spots. I just can't tell you. So definitely for me, with Matt Nagy's offense, especially utilizing the tight end a lot, is going to be my letdown player of the year. And I know you agree with me, Will. <laughs> I, I do. Again, you talk about it. Second round pick, I guess. I mean, he's not playing like one. And this year, we talked about, okay, he wasn't utilized under the previous regime. Um, the only time they even tried to use him was like at the one-yard line, which seemed to kind of still be the case this year. I do have a couple instances where he caught a few balls over the middle of the field for some first downs. But for the year, five catches, 48 yards, one touchdown. That is not taking the next step that's in many ways taking a step backwards and well go ahead comparatively i mean kevin white had four receptions for 23 yards and no touchdowns so but this is a second round pick that we we still have hope in kevin white yeah, is right. a first round pick that hope was already lost except from you apparently to still kind of hold out a little bit but no honestly okay I'll give Adam Sheen one thing this year that I was very proud of him, his run blocking, which was always a question coming out of college, coming out of Ashland. Can he block at the NFL level? And I think he's proved that. He came in, Jordan Howard's numbers started going up and up, and then Kyle Long came in, and they went up even further. Perfect. 
But outside of that, he is not a receiving threat. He gets the ball. He's stumbly with his feet. He doesn't know how to keep his balance. He keeps getting injured, so his health is always a question. So for me, Adam Shaheen, especially with someone like a Trey Burton, I thought it was going to be a perfect complement. They have a bigger role in this offense. I know he missed a lot of time with that ankle injury. But again, when he's not available, he's not making an impact. And even when he came back, he did not have an overly impressive impact. And even at some time, someone like a Ben Broniker was still getting some more touches than Adam Shaheen. So for me, like you, Nick, he's the player that let me down the most this year. All right, moving on to number 10, we're going to give out the most underrated player, which goes, of course, to the player that we thought didn't get enough recognition either here in Chicago here on the show, or even through the national media. And for me, I'm going with Eddie Goldman because he just continues to be overlooked. I don't think on this show, I think we do a really good job of giving you um, all the praise for number 91, but it's really okay that he is overlooked nationally because honestly, this year he set a bunch of career highs um, and apparently nobody's noticed. He His 28 pressures is up from the 26. He says a rookie, his three sacks ties his previous career high set in his sophomore season. His 25 hurries is a plus seven increase from his previous career high of 18 and his ability, you know, all year and to be healthy, by the way, which has always been something with Eddie Goldman now a couple years in a row being healthy to hold down the middle of the field, become a brick wall is one of the many reasons why the bears run defense was so dominant. His 31 run stops this year was the fifth on the team. And on top of that, it just wasn't one he was able to do down the center because for a nose tackle, he has some great range because I can count, a handful of times, if not more, that he's getting in on some tackles outside of the numbers. So for me, Eddie Goldman is a big center point of why this defense is so dominant, especially up front at the point of attack. And we saw that he saw it flash a little bit here on his previous Sunday against the Eagles. But Eddie Goldman, someone who I think still gets always overlooked. There are a lot of big names on that defense. That's a big reason why. But Eddie Goldman, his impact should never go unnoticed. So for me, he's still underrated. And that's why he's going to be my most underrated player of the year. Let's go to Brandon. Who do you got? Uh, I am in a agreement with you. I don't know if agreement is where, but I just said it. But uh, I'm going with Eddie Goldman as well because, like you said, just a, a very quiet year, and we do, you know, we do a good job of giving him the praise that he deserves. Uh, but you don't just, you know, defenses don't just become a top running defense without a very strong nose tackle. And that's what Eddie Goldman is. He's a big, strong guy that takes up a lot of space and he moves well laterally. Has really good feet. Able, you know, he's able to keep the feet churning when he's in there in the trenches. Being able to push guys back to be able to get to the ball carrier. That's a big part of why this Bears run defense is so successful. And you also brought up the amount of pressures that he had too. You know, it may not scream, you know, a whole lot, but it's a career high for him. And be able to bring that pressure up the middle is just another reason to really appreciate Eddie Goldman. But he just doesn't get that recognition because he plays such a dirty position at, at nose tackle on a 3-4 defense, one that, you know, he's not expected to go get after the quarterback or anything of that nature, just be able to, to fill gaps while the linebackers come in. Eddie Goldman does that and then a little bit more, so he definitely uh, deserves the underrated player in this one. Well, there you go. One last point about Eddie Goldman, keeping it free for linebackers, Danny Trevathan and Roquan Smith. And of course, Roquan being the smaller linebacker, even Danny's a little bit smaller as well. Uh, I thought the Bears' entire front line, just giving them all praise right now before we forget, did a great job of keeping them clean to allow them to flow as well as they did this season. A big reason why Smith almost was able to break Brian Urlacher's record for total tackles as a rookie. But Nick, I'm a little bit off the base here, so I'm going to get back on track. Over to you for the most underrated Bear. Yeah, so I I initially, when I was thinking about this award, Eddie Goldman was going to be my guy. But then I thought about it. He is a starter on this defense, and I wanted to give someone... From your big bear hugs to the little notes you leave in your kids' lunches, it's already obvious you're an amazing mom. But there's one thing you can do to be even more amazing. Quit smoking. Because when you quit... 
Not only does your risk of heart attack, stroke, and lung cancer decrease, your kid's risk of asthma, bronchitis, and ear infection does too. It's a win-win. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW or visit quitlineiowa.org for a quit plan that's right for you. Quit for you. Quit for them. Brought to you by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Praise that it's been here since 2012. That's Lovey Smith's last year and is still on this team. It's Sherrick McManus, someone who came in after that uh, Bryce Callahan got injured in the Los Angeles Rams game on that Sunday night game. And you know what? Has played well in his spot. A guy that is, uh, like I said, who's made it through three. Now this is his third coach for the same team. And he's still here. And he's playing. he played some valuable minutes, especially at the nickel corner spot, which is such an important position in Vic Fangio's defense and just any defense in general where you need to be able to guard that guy in the slot, be able to have that good coverage. And he had one of the better interceptions this season. Go back to that uh, week, what was it, three game against the Cardinals? He made a diving interception to where it was a tough ball to catch. He catches it. But even coming in later when Callahan got injured, like I was talking about, he did a good job at that. Yes, the last play, um, you know, that last Eagles touchdown, that was on McManus, but Look, it's a hard route to cover, and I just want to give him the praise that he definitely deserves. Being always a guy that you can count on on special teams, and especially uh, at the nickel position where the Bears didn't have anybody else. It was either Bryce Callahan got injured, then who are you going to put in? They they didn't have a Marcus Cooper anymore. You know, you didn't want that to be the option. But Sheriff McManus went in and did a serviceable job, and he is definitely deserving of this underrated player, especially because he's made it through one coach after another, after another. Yeah. There's a big reason why he stays and it's, of course, a lot of it's always about his special teams being a special teams ace, but for him, like you said, to step in for Bryce as well as he did is definitely deserving. And it kind of went on notice here, which is a little odd because we didn't have that much to talk about. So you figured McManus would get a little bit more love, but he did here on our show. So I'll give us credit for that as well. I think entering that playoff game, um, ever since he took over for Bryce quarterbacks only had a pass rating in the fifties against him, just to kind of put that into perspective, but moving on guys to the most overrated bear, which of course goes to the bear that we thought was just getting a little bit too much hype this season. I'm curious to your guys are slot here and Nick right back to you. Most overrated. I think we're all in agreement on this Do award. We- I'm pretty sure we are. Um, a guy One, by two, the name three. of Mazel. Yeah. All right. Yay. This is a guy that, man, just every time he gets the ball, you'll see a tweet from me or from our account uh, on Twitter. Just why is he getting the ball? What is the reason that he's, I think, just a guy that when you have Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen, there there shouldn't be a reason Taquan Mizell is getting the ball over these guys. Uh, just trying to find his his final stats here. Oh he my had gosh, it's nine rushing attempts. Yeah, nine <laughs> nine rushing attempts, nine too many, and then ten. What is it? Eight receptions, eight too many. There was a couple. He didn't have a touchdown against okay, the that's really Lions funny. On that's really really funny. In my notes, I have his total four total touches seemed like twenty four too many. So we're in <laughs> the was. same boat here. <laughs> It really was. It's just whenever he got the ball, okay, he's getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage. Well, hey, look, the, uh, maybe the offensive line could have blocked a little bit better, but it always, always happened to take on Mizell. I wonder why that is. It just didn't make sense for me that Negi, just for some reason, he loved him. He'll just put him out there in key situations too, like, ooh, third and one. On we need to convert this. We're going to hand it to Smoke. And he averages 1.8 yards per attempt this season. Blew my mind, still blows my mind. I'm still scratching my head. I had a I was bleeding a little bit from my scalp uh, <laughs> on Sunday because it's a playoff game. You have Jordan Howard. You had Tariq Cohen only had a handful of total touches, if not less. 
I don't know why you have them getting poached from a guy like Taquan Mizell. It's it's mind boggling to say the least. Yeah, I, I have nothing else to say about him. I just I just don't understand. <laughs> Overrated. B anything? Got? <laughs> uh, when we when we brought him in, we thought you know he'd be a nice complimentary player because uh, we weren't sure of Jordan Howard's hands at that time. But then he quickly showed us up about that, and then we were. Obviously, I'll still sitting here wondering why Tui Kwan Mizell is even on the team. You know, should he be down on the practice squad? And then to see him show up in a playoff game, like you said, Will, it's just, I don't know. My scout might be bleeding <laughs> too, but I I don't know. I, I don't have anything for it. It's He's just not the type of player that we need. The running back position's full. Yeah. He had one play this year. It was a third down catch. Went for 26 yards along the sideline in one of those emergency scramble drills. Great. Yep. He had one play out of all of his touches. That went for like 20 plus yards. Other than that, a whole lot of nada. Zip. And hopefully uh, we find someone else who can fulfill this uh, infatuation role if we're going to keep one of those here on this offense. But no more no more smoke. No smoking, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Moving on to number 12. We're going to hand out the Toughest Dude Award. I don't know what we are doing when we named this award, but I do like it in theory. <laughs> Brandon, how about you? Who's going to be your toughest dude of 2018? Yeah, in theory, I like the award, but that might need a name change here soon. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go with Kyle Long. I feel like he's been uh, you know, consecutively nominated for this award, probably won it. I mean, obviously, he's winning it for me, but he, he started the year. You know, He had had a surgery, came back, played really well. Then he gets hurt again uh, against, against the Jets, I believe it was. So then he, he's not playing until the final two games of the year uh, with that ankle injury. And he comes out and plays really well. Uh, and the fact that he was, you know, stood down after that injury, you know, it just happens again. It's kind of long. He's kind of fragile, you know, but he always seems to find a way to come back. And he always finds a way to bring this fire and this energy that the team really needs. Uh, so the fact that he's able to have these injuries be on the sideline because he knows his team needs him, needs that energy, uh, and then comes out there and plays like nothing ever even really happened. I think that deserves a, a toughest dude award. I like it. I'm going to go with a rookie. I'm giving my toughest dude award to Anthony Miller. Again, week three is when he suffered a dislocated shoulder. And he, you know, give him credit. He gritted that out for the entire course of the season, having to play with a harness on that shoulder. Um, that's the de- definition to me of tough because, again, that shoulder, it popped out a couple more times throughout the year, but he never really let it from keeping him from playing. Even if he had to miss the rest of the game the very next week, boom, he's back into action. He's back at practice the following week. He never really made it uh, to become much of a you know determinant of his season, even though you, don't, you have to wonder how much he actually did kind of, you know, hamper him just a little bit throughout the year because someone like me and a lot of our listeners know I've had a poor shoulder uh, history in the past where my left one popped out six times in a couple of years. And I know just how uncomfortable that can make you feel, how much it hurts, how much it's sore afterwards. And he never complained once. He kept playing through it. And on top of that, once that shoulder labrum is torn, which his definitely is, be as you know, loose as it was just to pop out of the last time just by moving his arm up with a harness on, you're just never comfortable with that joint, but he never let that bother him. He never let it deter him, and he was still finding a way to lead the team in receiving touchdowns despite that fact. So, again, he's probably, and again, we've heard it from his uncle that he's going to get surgery, even though the Bears last I heard said no surgery, and that was in September. Surely things have changed. We'll keep you updated on that. But, again, never let that injury bother him. He played through it all year long. So, again, this kid is tough. He's very, very tough. The definition of tough. Can I say tough one more time? I just did. Nick, you're up. So for the tough, toughest dude award, when I think tough and think about 
about this Bears team. A lot of guys qualifying. I think Anthony Miller is really deserving of this, especially with the injury he has to he had to go through this season. But Akeem Hicks was the first guy I thought about. Just somebody plays defensive tackle position. He's comfortable being uncomfortable in those situations where he's getting double teamed every single play. He's going to have to fight through it. And then he always somehow gets a swim move in there, is able to get in the backfield, make a tackle for loss, just punish running backs, punish quarterbacks. Hey, give him the handoff. He'll score a touchdown. It's just a guy that doesn't matter what the situation is. He's going to give it his all no matter what. Um, I saw that just to see where his percent of snaps was this year. It's a little bit lower from it was just previous season. But then again, that's what we wanted. Came, yeah, exactly. That's what we wanted. And Keem Hicks was the, the main defensive guy that was getting uh, sacks last year. 74.14%, which is still you know a good percentage. He's out there for a majority of the time. But Akeem Hicks is a guy that immediately came up to where he's always making those no those gritty plays where, again, double team, has to fight through it, and then is still able to get his body in some weird position to make a tackle on a running back. But Akeem Hicks was the first guy I thought about when thinking about the toughest dude on this team, and I think he's deserving of it. All right, moving on to the underrated coach. I don't know if I can even say duh in the podcast, but I just did. It's D-U-H if I want to do a disclaimer, apparently. <laughs> there you go. But uh, the coach of the year, it goes to the Chicago Bears coach that we thought didn't get a lot of recognition throughout the season, but is definitely deserving so. And Brandon, I'm going to go to you first for your underrated coach of the year. I'm going to give it to Dave Ragone. He's the quarterback's coach, and he's played a very silent yet big part in Trubisky's development because he's been here. Uh, for the whole thing. He's been the quarterback's coach uh, since uh, the old coaching staff, as Nick said earlier. I don't want to say their names again. Trying to get out of habit. But uh, he, he was one of the holdovers, which was really surprising that they chose the quarterback coach of all people with the lack of success that they had. You know, Like I mentioned earlier with Jake Cutler, Brian Hoyer, and Matt Barkley all playing in the same season. I think David Fales might have even got some snaps that year as well. Uh, so the fact that Dave Ragone uh, has been a holdover uh, from that staff that had that quarterback group uh to just solely having to focus on Trubisky and be a part of that development and be another smart guy in the room to help him learn I think that just shows a lot uh in Trubisky's gameplay and we even see him on the sidelines from time to time talking to Mitch he's not necessarily out there talking to to Mark Halfrick or Matt Nagy he's talking to Dave Ragone so uh, the fact that he has been such a big part in Trubisky's development is something that needs to be talked about so Dave Ragone is going to be my underrated coach there's a reason why he was like that lone, you know, returner from the previous regime. And I agree with everything you said. Very well deserved. For me, I'm going to go ahead and go with the strength and conditioning coaches, two of them. Uh, Jason Loscalzo, Loscalzo, I think that's how you're going to pronounce it. And then this one's easier, Casey Kramer. Uh, one of the biggest issues of this team over the last couple of years, we know it's been injuries, more specifically soft tissue injuries. Uh, this offseason, these two coaches came in, changed the narrative. One of the biggest determinants towards the Bears' success this season really was their ability to stay relatively healthy all season long. We didn't lose starter after starter after starter like we have in years past. We only had a handful of injuries this year, and we were one of the most healthy teams on the season. Only three players who I'm going to say saw a decent time finished on IR, that being Sam Acho earlier this year. Deion Sims, which again, his role was diminishing, but still decent-ish time to kind of consider. And then Bryce Callahan late in the year, which again, Sims was a concussion. Callahan was, of course, a broken foot. Can't really go against that. And then Sam Acho was like, what, a torn pec, which is just one of those freak kind of accidents. So for me, all the soft, you didn't see guys out with hamstring issues all the time. You didn't see them uh, with quads or anything of that nature. And for the Bears to finish with only three guys who are, again, 
role guys to finish on IR is a very strong position to be in compared to years past where I said it was starter after starter leading the league with money spent on IR. That didn't happen. And the Bears' health is a big reason why they're so successful this season. But Nick, how about you? Who's going to be your underrated coach? Well, man, I have one written down right here, but I might just change it on the fly because I just kind of thought of him and we didn't talk about him a lot this season. And I, I am going to do this. It's going to be Mark Helfrich, the offensive coordinator that a lot of people didn't really talk about this season. Yes, it was a big name because of what he did at Oregon, but Mitch Trubisky was able to have the season that he did. And Brandon talked about it a lot, just uh, seeing where he came from in the beginning to where he's at now because of probably Mark Helfrich and just bringing that, that RPO type of offense to him and just being able to see something differently in the defense, just being that other set of eyes, that other perspective in the room, especially in the quarterback's room, to where now Mitch Trubisky is getting another opinion from a guy that definitely knows football. So Mark Helfridge just bringing those kind of concepts to the Bears, bringing that and just helping Matt Nagy run his offense. There's a lot of things that he does and is able to just share his knowledge with not only just Trubisky, but just everybody on the offense. So I think that's very valuable in one, when you have a whole bunch of new components on the offense for, for starters, and then having a young quarterback, just trying to give him everything to put him in the best position to succeed. So originally I had Ed Donatel on here because of what the DB, the DBs were able to do this season, having two all pros. But then I just kind of thought about a guy because I didn't really think about Mark Helfrich that much this year. And that's why I think he is deserving of, however you want to spell duh, underrated coach uh, of the year. Very well done, especially on the spot. I think to not even think about him until right when it was your turn uh, just kind of proves how underrated Mark Helfrich may be. And he's a very nice guy. Uh, we met him almost a year ago at the yeah. NFL Scouting Combine. So on top of all the reasons he said, he's a good guy too. But moving on to the Biggest Hitter Award, which we dubbed here for a few years now the Single Erlactus Award, because if you put together Mike Singletary, Brian Nerlacher and Dick Butkus. You have three of the hardest hitters in Chicago Bears history. So, of course, this award is given to the hardest hitter on the team. Uh, let's go to Nick right away because I want to put you on the spot again. Yeah, and I do have someone uh, for this one, and I will <laughs> stick with it this time. I just think as we watch you know, 2018 unfold and just watching each individual game, there was always one point in the game where you're like, man, Roquan Smith just lit up that guy. He's coming in full speed, and you know he has the speed. And then he's starting to get the just starting to understand plays. He's putting in himself in positions to deliver those big hits. So when I was thinking about all the guys on here, and you know, there's obviously other ones that are deserving. Akeem Hicks has definitely laid some people out, and so is Khalil Mack. But Roquan Smith just with having one the distance and then closing speed and be able to deliver the hit. I think this is the guy where you can really think about it. yeah. He, he definitely, if you go back and watch the tape, watch each individual game, you'll see, all right, there's Roquan Smith. You know where, where he's at in the field, number 58, because he's the one just laying out some people. So I think he's deserving of the biggest hitter award. I like it. How about you, B? This is one that I think in the past I've given to Adrian Amos just because he's naturally a hard hitter, plays downhill. Uh, but I am on the same page with Nick on this one, although instead of you know the biggest hits he's laid, I'm doing the quantity over quality of hits because he's was really only a game short of tying uh Erlacher, one of the guys who's we you know named this award after Ooh, you would uh, almost, think if he played that entire week one green bay he would have had it i think he'd been pretty dang close i think so i really too. do so I, I just for that reason you know being that close being a full game away from being able to break Erlacher's uh bears rookie tackle record uh 
he's got to hit the same guy more than once in a game, I would think, and that would hurt enough. So I think that the quantity over quality is a, a good enough reason to give uh, Roquan Smith the single or lactose award. There we go. Uh, for me, uh, like you said, Brandon, usually it's reserved for either a safety or a linebacker like you guys did. But I'm going to go with a defensive lineman and Brand- Nick, Nick. I meant to say Nick. Uh, that is who I'm going to go with because you already mentioned him, Akeem Hicks. Uh, countless plays where he made either you know at or near the line or even behind the line of scrimmage. It kind of made you go, wow. He has that uncanny ability to just engulf running backs, pulverize quarterbacks. He can knock an offensive lineman to the turf. He can lay a lick on anybody. And usually when he does, it's for a loss and it's a momentum-changing play. And when I think of big hitters on this defense, Hicks is near the top of the list. He's a monster. Nobody wants to face him one-on-one. And Nick, like you mentioned, he just tends to you know, lay a, you know, a whooping on whoever he's going to go after. He doesn't just set them to the ground. He finds a way to make them pay if they come his way. He can clothesline people like just with one arm and golf them and throw them to the turf. So for me, uh, the single Orlactus Award is going to go to Akeem Hicks. All right, so real quick, before we handle the next award, I want to let you know, weather permitting, uh, at least for me, uh, we are going to go hang out at the Punch Bowl Social this week in Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, so if you're in the area and you want to go hang out with us for a few hours, it's going to be in the afternoon. I think we're planning on being there around 2.30, 3 o'clock to begin, somewhere in the mid-afternoon range. So if you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach on Twitter or Facebook. Send us an email, chicagoaudible at gmail.com. But yeah, we're hanging out at the Punch Bowl Social in Schaumburg this Saturday afternoon. Very low-key. Brandon and I and Nick, we're just kind of wanting to meet up for a little bit as a, like a post kind of season, uh, you know, get together. And Nick had a great idea of like, why not invite some of our listeners, some of our fans to hang out as well. So no pressure, show up if you would like, but we'd love to meet you if, uh, or re-meet you if we already have in the past. So definitely check that out if you're available Saturday afternoon. But guys, getting back to business, moving on to our 15th award, it's the Baby Bear Award, which of course is the Rookie of the Year. So guys, which player do you believe made the biggest impact in their rookie season? And Brandon, you're up first. I'm going to go with a guy that I've already mentioned on the show, and that's James Daniels, because uh, he was my best offensive lineman, uh, my Olin Cruz Award winner. But I'm going to give it to James Daniels in this one, especially because uh, where he started, like you said, this year, uh, he had to fight for everything this year. And he ended up having to rotate time with Eric Cush, and Eric Cush ended up rotating time with Brian Witzman when uh, when Kyle Long went out. And James Daniels just stepped in like it was nothing, like it was absolutely his calling. He stepped in with absolutely no issue at all. Uh, Frankly, the left side of that offensive line uh, with Charles Leno and James Daniel at guard, I don't think Trubisky has to worry about his blind side for the next five years because these are two very solid guys uh, anchored down there by James Daniels in the middle uh, who's young, he's athletic, he's going to be able to pull in some of these running plays uh, that they'll do. He just does a lot of things right, and he's only going to continue to get better under Coach Harry Heastand. So uh, I think the impact was overlooked, uh, but I don't think that it will be after this because that left side I don't think is hardly going to give up any sacks anymore. Very nice. I'm going to go with the other second round pick this year, and that's going to be Anthony Miller, because what a better way to make an impact during your first year in the league than to be fourth on the team and total points scored. He had 42. And I already mentioned he led the team in receiving touchdowns with his seven. He was also third in the NFL with receptions, uh, touchdown receptions from the slot with five right behind guys of uh, Adam Thielen. And I'm forgetting the other one off the top of my head, but just to put it in perspective, what kind of company he is in. But again, he brought more to the table than just scoring points. He was able to make big plays. Uh, one that comes to mind, his 55-yard catch. Um, that was the second highest on the team, uh, right behind Tariq Cohen. Additionally, he was used as a runner. He had six carries for 26 yards. 
Uh, he even completed a pass this year. I can only imagine with a healthy shoulder next year uh, that he's only going to be able to take a giant step compared to what he was able to do in his rookie year. Someone who's a great route runner with an offseason to kind of grow his role, build chemistry with Trubisky. Really, the sky's the limit. For, but for me, Anthony Miller, again, fourth on the team, total points scored, was really a red zone uh, threat this year. And usually rookie wide receivers, especially ones that uh, have some expectations, tend to kind of be a dud. And for him to kind of break out of that mold, and I agree, Calvin Ridley did the same down in Atlanta. Uh, but for him to do it here in Chicago was uh, very enticing to see. And again, a uh, big impact on offense. And I don't expect it to grow further. But for me, he's going to be my rookie of the season, even though I do believe there's one more that Nick's going to go to to kind of round this out because there are three rookies, actually four, um, that couldn't make their case in one way or another. And I have to go with the linebacker, Joel. No, I'm just kidding. EA Buniwe. <laughs> he, he did actually have want, a pretty good season. You just wanted to brag that you say teams. that name. You just wanted to brag. I know. I know. I've really practiced uh, saying that because, man, when they drafted him, it was, it was bad. I want to go watch that video to see how he pronounced that last <laughs> name. But he did, he did do pretty well on special teams. And according to Roquan Smith, who I am going to go with, he's his son. He always says that on Snapchat and, and Instagram. He's like, this is my son, Joel. I'm like, I wonder why that is. If I ever met him, I'd definitely ask him that. But Roquan Smith, even though he missed training camp, he was late with all the, you know, the contract disputes or whatever it was. Um, he came in at the end, towards the end of that Green Bay game, and you could just see the difference between him and Nick Kwiatkowski. It was very evident, especially in how they were able to cover. And with Vic Fangio's defense, and especially this day and age where the middle of the defense, that's where a lot of offenses like target. You have to have fast linebackers that can cover and Roquan Smith can do exactly that and he did a pretty good job especially when he started to learn Vic Fangio's defense and look he has a great player alongside him and Danny Trevathan but you saw him just get more comfortable like I was talking about earlier deliver those big hits he had five sacks on the season too so Vic Fangio was able to just use him blitz him up the middle to get those you know sacks that came at really crucial times and games at times so Roquan Smith we have the middle of that defense is set with Danny Trevathan and Roquan. Such There's a lot of speed on that side. They just are very instinctive as well, know how to fill their gaps because they have guys like Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman in front of them. But I think Roquan and what he was able to do, just being a couple tackles shy of breaking Brian Erlacher's rookie record, it shows the player that he can be. Now give him some more time and a training camp to actually prepare for. Who knows what Roquan Smith can be? Number eight overall. I, I see why they took him. Because he's going to be special. He just has all the traits that you like in a linebacker. And who knows how Dan how long Danny Trevathan will be here. But let's say he goes in maybe a couple years. I feel very comfortable with Roquan Smith being like that new leader. That new vocal leader in, in the locker room. Because he is that type of guy. He has those traits. And that's why I think he's deserving of the Rookie of the Year award. Hey, either way you slice it, it's two strong rookie classes in a row here by General Manager Ryan Pace. That's something to hang our hats on as well. But moving right along, we're going to give out the Richard Dent Award, which goes to the player that we thought brought the most to the table when getting after the quarterback. Do we need to debate this? Because I don't think so. There's a debate no. for this. <laughs> <laughs> Mac, Mac, Mac. All right, there we go. You guys didn't have Roy Robinson Harris? Ah. Uh, I did geez, not get the memo. I'm just really screwing up with these today. No, I'm just kidding. I had John Ballard. Jeez. <laughs> But honestly, Matt, guys, uh, he had 21 more pressures than the next highest bear. Hicks had 53. 
Um, he also led the team in sacks with 13, hurries with 52. Um, that's with missing a game. And technically, too, if you want to count when uh, we were all down to Miami when he did play hurt. Khalil Mack, of course, a blessing this season. Uh, really led the charge. Uh, it was actually worse than to even think where this defense would be without him harassing quarterbacks at a rate that he was able to accomplish this year. Uh, he impacted the rest of the defense, not just by getting after the passer, but also he drew a pe- plenty of double teams, even triple teams from time to time, which opened the door for his teammates. And even then, uh, he also found a way to make some damage done once that was going up against him. But again, Cleo Mack, I, I'm just curious if you guys want to add anything here because I do believe this is outside of Trubisky. This one is the most obvious award that we have given out all night long. I was trying to earlier today figure out the last time that a bear had double digit sacks. And off the top of my head, the first thing was Julius Peppers when he was here in 2012. And I was somewhat right, but Willie Young had 10 in 2014. So not quite Julius Peppers range, but Willie Young, I guess, isn't significant enough for me to realize that <laughs> he had double digit sacks in 2014. So. You don't remember yeah, when he was like gone fishing for 10 times in a season? Damn. Yeah, Apparently he liked not. the fish. He liked the fish. But no, I mean, with Mac, he changes games. And we, we talked about it earlier. It's his, uh, it's good for a defense to have a guy like him because, like I said, it makes everybody else better. You have to you have to really game plan for Mac because if you don't, you, offensive, offensively, things can just be screwed up. Right from one play, sack and a quarterback, strip sack, and that can ruin games. But he's definitely deserving of this award. Look, Akeem Hicks played out of his mind this year as well, but you have to give it to Mac. All right, moving on to the surprise player of the year. This award goes to the player that we thought came out of nowhere and made a surprisingly significant impact on the season. I'm going to go ahead and begin because who in the world thought that a fifth-round pick out of Delaware was going to make such a big impact in his rookie season with a defensive line that already featured guys like Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Don Bullard, and Roy Robertson-Harris? You know, I bet one person did, and that's Bilal Nichols, because the kid started getting it, you know, together about midway through the preseason, and he just never looked back. He had himself a great year, tied for the fifth most sacks on the team with four. He had 17 total pressures. He had 15 run stops, and a lot of those, too, came at, like, a lot of these rookies and a lot of this, these players as well. The Bears, as a team, did a great job of making plays in some crucial situations. Uh, Nichols, he made countless plays at behind the line of scrimmage. He flashed his potential all year long. It was very unexpected. I really thought he'd just be a guy to come in sometimes to keep a, you know, a guy like either Eddie Goldman or John Bullard or Roy Robson Harris or even Akeem Hicks fresh, but he was able to come in there and find a way to make his impact as well. So I think you give him you know, another year to, uh, I mean, sorry, one more year, of course, you can take another step, but I believe with Nichols this year, the consensus was he's going to need going from Delaware to the NFL a year to kind of adjust, but he proved everybody wrong. Definitely a surprise. How about you, Nick? Who's going to be your surprise player of the year? Yeah, so when the Bears signed Taylor Gabriel, I wasn't as high as maybe a lot of people was just seeing that. I didn't know what he was going to do. Look, his previous career high prior to this season, 36 receptions and 621 yards, and that was his rookie year. And then he comes out and gets 67 receptions, which was second most on the Bears this season, and has 688 yards. I didn't think he was going to be as a focal point in this offense as he was and just having the reception, the reception numbers, but he was their deep threat. When Mitch Trubisky was going to throw the ball deep, it was usually going to be the Taylor Gabriel because he just has that elite speed. And just coming in, just seeing what he did previously in his career, and even though he was on some good offense like Atlanta and, you know, he's with Cleveland for a little bit, 
I didn't think that he was going to be the player that he was this season. So that's why it was a surprise for me seeing what he was able to do, and I'm happy about it. The Bears have a guy that, you know, they can take the top off of a defense, especially if you're going to go and double maybe an Allen Robinson because he's having a good game. Give him a chance to get behind that that cornerback, especially if they're only playing single safety high. Taylor Gabriel is going to be the guy that Mitch Trubisky is going to go to in those situations, especially when they're looking to get that big play. And Matt Nagy, we saw this season, likes to throw the deep ball. So I was really surprised to see Taylor Gabriel have a season that he did. And look, he's getting on jet sweeps. He's uh, He said himself he's going to be incorporated a lot in the offense. I didn't expect him to do as much as he did. Brandon, uh, very well said, Nick. I agree with that as well. But Brandon, over to you. Who's going to be your surprise player? Well, first of all, I thought Nick's surprise player was going to be Trey Burton because he was involved as Nick thought he would be every single week. So uh, <laughs> I had to make a little funny there. But regardless, uh, my uh, my surprise player of the year is Sherrod McManus, the defensive back, not the special teams player, because we know what he can do as a gunner on special teams. Uh, wasn't really a surprise there. But when he came in to replace Bryce Callahan when he went down with that injury, uh, the first thing that came into my mind was how he was the original nickel guy when we first started doing the podcast under John Fox and Vic Fangio and how it was just horrendous. I can remember cringing every time teams would throw it his way because he just consistently seemed to leave guys open. So I was really honestly worried. Uh, But to see his development uh, and step in like he was just another Bryce Callahan-esque type of player. I mean, he wasn't quite as as sticky or quite as good as Bryce Callahan is, but he didn't give up hardly any ground either. Uh, Granted, that that touchdown to Philadelphia uh, that he gave up at the end there, I mean, that's not necessarily entirely his fault because that's just a tough route to defend there on the two-yard line. Uh, You can't really fault him for that one. I'm not even sure Bryce Callahan would have got to that one without getting some sort of penalty. So uh, overall, I thought Charlie McManus was a a very surprised player stepping in a clutch clutch situation at a very important time of the year. Uh, And he he even made some plays in that Philadelphia game, uh, but I think most people are going to look at that touchdown that he gave up as sort of kind of his, you know, just because it's in recent memory, I think is what it is. But regardless, he stepped in, uh, played very Bryce Callahan-esque, and it, it surprised me. All right, moving on to the Golden Boot Award, a.k.a. Get Out of Town. So beyond popular belief, this award does not go to the best kicker on the team, but you better damn believe it can go to the worst. <laughs> so instead, this is the player that we would like to give the boot to now that the season's over. Do we even have to debate this one? <sighs> No, <laughs> in the well, in the past, I've given it to the worst the defensive back, and it seems to have worked. Uh, you know, Antro Roll comes to mind. I gave it to him the first year. I think we did this, and then Quentin uh, Demps. Quentin Demps, and then he left. But there's not a DB that we can really give that to that I want to leave. So, in search of trying to find someone else other than than Cody Park, maybe we could say Deion Sims. Maybe I think we had him yeah. last year. Didn't we? Okay. I think at least someone did. Uh, Mitchell's ND. Yeah. M. I had to finish your initials, oh. Nick. I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> ND Who is ND? <laughs> Who is this new guy on the podcast? Oh, you're been don't replaced. Dang. Golden what? Boot Award goes to Nick. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it is deserving. Look, even though it did go down as a block, you can't give Cody Parkey the benefit of the doubt that that ball's going to go in regardless if it's blocked or not. You just don't, maybe it doesn't go wide left. And it hits the pole because it gets blocked. You just don't know. And you don't want that situation to happen again. Are you going to wait for it to happen again? If you keep Cody parking on this team to where it's a big game, he has to kick a 40 yard field goal. Maybe it's even closer. He misses it. You're just like, damn, 
We kept him on here to just do it again. Look, he seems like a great guy, and he took it like a champ answering the questions. Now, I, apparently, he's going on the Today Show tomorrow to talk about the missed field goal. I think that's maybe a PR stunt to like make, feel bad for Cody Parkey. And if the Bears cut him, you're like, oh, wow. You cut the guy. He feels awful for it. Of course. Look, I think the best move is to just go the go a different direction, go get Robbie Gold, and just let – Parky walk it's there's I don't think it's worth it for him to be able to rebound I don't know if he can look Chicago I think for the most part hates him and you know I don't know you could it it's whatever there's a lot of plays that led up to the Bears losing but it ultimately lands on Cody Parkey making that field goal and he didn't so I think he's the right guy to not come back for the 2019 season if that was the only gripe, I can see fine. We, you know, one missed kick. All right, come on back. We'll figure it out. But it's something that started in training camp. Uh, the first week of practice, he wasn't really that accurate. And we're all kind of like, oh, like we've paid a lot of money for this guy. And he's having a hard time making these kicks in practice without even any pressure. That is not good. It carried over to the season where he missed 11 total kicks, seven field goals, uh, a few extra points as well. And, of course, that crucial miss on Sunday against the Eagles. So, again, I think we all need to move on. It's like a bad relationship where no one's going to be happy sticking with it. So let's just move forward. And if the Bears do I kind of want to counter that a little a bit. Because last time <laughs> that the Bears let go of a kicker that had similar, you know, kicking stats was Robbie Gold-ish. I mean, I think the guys we had in between them were a little worse. Uh, Connor Barr, for example, uh, Santos, you know, I think they were a little worse than Burke. Uh, Parky and, and Gold, but then Gold goes on to these different places. He beats the Bears on his own when he's in New York. Uh, the, the Robbie Gold game, as I think we like to refer to it, and that Robbie one. He did Gold. the same thing with the 49ers. Yeah, I know, but he's only missed like three field goals since then. But that's since Robbie Gold. Been, like, there's <laughs> Robbie Gold was good before, then he had a bad year. Uh, Cody Parkey had like a decent year in Miami. We banked on it and paid him a lot of money. I was just trying to come up with a, a dumb <laughs> Good job. It ain't going to work today. <laughs> it's like this. If the Bears keep Cody Parkey, it's like every time this season where they trusted him, whether it be in Miami in overtime and uh, against Philadelphia here, it's like putting your hand on the hot stove and getting burnt and wondering what the heck happened. It's like we know the story if we try this. You're going to get burned. I don't want to get burned again. He's the Achilles heel of this team, and the Bears would do themselves a service to find a way to shore up that Achilles heel instead of keeping it and hoping that it gets, you know, fixed or corrected or healed. And it didn't work for Achilles. I doubt it's going to work for Chicago. <laughs> All right, guys, and not to keep it down, but I need to ask for your low light of the season. And I just talked about mine, so I'm just going to just kick it off. It's going to Miami, losing in overtime. Uh, we had a group of 30 fans with us. Honestly, it was the best yet worst weekend of my life because we put all the effort into this trip, getting people to go with us, coordinating all the events, meeting all these fans, having a really good time. It was a fun game, but then just how we felt afterwards, missing that kick in overtime in another position to you know to win – um, in Miami, as a game that we all look forward to all offseason long, it was the worst. It really was. Like, we had a lot of fun down there, and we, of course, enjoyed meeting up in person because that's always a great time. Brandon was able to fly, and he, he, I talked to him in actually going, which, of course, is great. <laughs> I got to take, you know, the family down there and have the first flight with the kid, which, of course, lots of fun. But then the kick and the missed kick. And then the defense having the day that they did with all the missed tackles. It was it was probably the worst I felt this season. Um, there's some other times I felt bad, but the good news is, guys, we have a few to choose from this year. Where in years past, it's like, all right, let's pick the bad out of the bunch, out of all the bads. <laughs> and now this year, we just have a few that we have to kind of like pick and choose from. So that's a positive. 
But Brandon, over to you. What's your low light of the season? Uh, my low light's going to come back to week one when they lost to Green Bay on the dropped Kyle Fuller interception. Because uh, then two plays later, Aaron Rodgers is leading the team down the field for the game-winning score. So if the Bears win that game, I mean, we wouldn't be playing our first playoff game till this weekend uh, when you really think about it. And that's just if everything plays out the same way that it did, which highly doubtful. Uh, but regardless, one extra win would have given us the bye because we had the, the tiebreaker over the Rams for that number two seed. Uh, and I think it would have been a, a very similar story. I think the Bears might have been able to lock up the number two. But, you know, that's just an if and what could be. Uh, and that's kind of why it's my my low light. I felt a lot lower after that one than I did against this playoff loss for some reason. I think it was just a sour note to start the season, especially the way they started that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one stung a little bit more. Aaron Rodgers goes off on the card. He comes back. He does right. everything he's done against us in the past. It's like, oh, here we go. I understand that one. That one is very bad as well. We're all riding the Khalil Mack hype train, and he has that first half too. Yep. Yeah, that was a complete 180 in emotion. We do have two more awards to get to that are positive to end off this show, but Nick, the last negative thing is coming from you. What's going to be your letdown moment? It has to be last last Sunday night because with those those moments right there, there were other games afterwards. That's a big thing. There were other things to look forward to. This one, when Cody Parkey's you know double doink, I was just left. I was standing watching it just in silence. Everyone was quiet in my house, and then to see it like everything just kind of dropped. I, I immediately I picked up my laptop. Didn't say a word, came up to, you know, my room to do the show. And I put in the group me that I, I don't think I was, I couldn't do it. I didn't think I could. I was destroyed that. And look, the season's over now. There's no other game. You can't, you can't come back from it. It's over. So I think for me, just seeing it end like that, knowing that, like you said, well, it, he was the most inconsistent part of the team. And yet it came down to him to make this kick and he did it. That's what hurts so bad. It still kind of hurts today. I was telling you, like, I was just driving driving back home from work, and I just kind of put myself in that moment again. I didn't want to. It just kind of happened. I was just – I had all these bad feelings again. So it's a low light for this season. It will be until the Bears can, you know, start playing football games again because I, I feel like a lot of people in Chicago are just going back to that moment. Like, man, if it was a couple of inches to the right, it would we wouldn't have brushed the field goal post – we're playing and getting ready. We're doing a podcast about facing the Rams as opposed to giving out awards. So that is definitely my low light of the season. I don't want to talk about it anymore. We need to go to these <laughs> other two awards forward. and kind of bring ourselves back up. Absolutely. That's why we order them this way. <laughs> I will admit this week has been tough, not breaking down an upcoming Bears game. Like I wake up on Tuesday and I'm like, oh, I got to meet the crap. We don't have to meet the Rams. And, you know, yesterday, oh, mail. Oh, no. And then like so off schedule. It's it's brutal. And even today, like, oh, preview games. No. Nope, we're here reviewing a year, which is still a painful thing to do, but at least going through it is kind of a good therapeutic exercise to remember all the good times. So to do that for the last two guys, and here's the new one that I told you, you have no idea what's coming your way, even though I felt like you were getting on to me right before we went live. What's going to be your favorite celebration of the year? And Nick, you're up first. Oh, okay. I, I talked about it. I loved when Anthony Miller got into the end. So what was that against the, was that the Vikings? I don't even remember when it was, but when they started the row, when they all sat down, <laughs> yeah. Anthony Miller was just <laughs> rowing and then everyone gets behind him. I think you see Bradley soul get on the other star, <laughs> other side of him and start to line himself. And they're just rowing. That one was awesome. Um, just a lot of fun. And that that's a big thing with this bears team. There's a lot of fun that they had. It was just fun watching them too, especially when they got into the end zone. You're like, all right, what's next? But I really enjoyed that one. It was creative. I don't, no one did it. And then Anthony Miller just comes out. He's just 
moving his hands really fast, rowing. I, I really enjoyed that one. That was a good one for me. That was that was a good one. Actually, one escaped me when I was prepping for this because I had the privilege of knowing, so I did prep for this one. But <laughs> I, that one did escape me. So very good job to bring it up. How about you, B? What was your favorite celebration this year? Can it be every club dub that that opened up this year? That is I, a celebration. That that is frankly the one of the coolest things I think I've ever seen in sports. Like I can't think of a another team that that did that. I know uh, Nagy City kind of got it from the Cubs, but I don't pay any attention to the Cubs. I'm a I'm a Sox fan, so sorry for all you guys out there, Cubs fans that have to listen to me. Uh, but they didn't do that, especially when they won in 05. So regardless, I think Club Dub was just a really cool way to, to celebrate the wins because, like Nagy said, you know, you really have to earn those in the NFL. So I think that just thought in general, being able to, to see it play out every week and it continue to get this hype and continue to just get bigger and bigger and the crowds are getting bigger and bigger and everyone's all yelling and all excited and everyone else wants to join, but it's one of the most exclusive clubs you can get into. So I just think that that in general is one of the greatest celebrations uh, that I think I've ever seen. Absolutely. I like that one a lot. For me, I have two more that come to mind, and I figured why not just add both of them real quick. Number one, um, the Eddie Jackson pick six against the Vikings when he's getting the band together and doing like the little orchestra. And some people think they're doing a band. Some think, people think they're doing a choir, so they don't even know what's going on, but it still looked great. <laughs> it was still pretty cool. That was really awesome. And then my other one, and probably my favorite of the year, was after that Sherrick McManus interception against the Lions when they did the Motown. Because not only was that a really cool celebration, you have Dion Bush doing like the little jazz hand at the end, and they're all running <laughs> off the field and scurrying. But then the competition that came out afterwards when everyone's putting that dance to different songs, and you get to see all these Bears fans creating their own content, coming up with all these awesome things. I had a few ideas, and they all sucked. So to see everybody do it was really awesome. And, uh, you know, for us as fans, you know, our podcast is our kind of way of, and we write too, but of our kind of creating content. But to see other fans kind of get in on the fun with that celebration and put it to music, that was one of my favorite weeks as we're preparing for the next opponent. Because every time you turn around on Twitter, here's another video of the song. And then like, which one is it? And it's, it's awesome. It was fun each and every time. You also figured out real quick who on that Bears defense can dance and has rhythm and who can't. Because, man, you see Nick Kukowski and even Roquan Smith, you're like, oh, all right. We, they need to score again to really fix that because it did not look good if you go back and watch that Motown shuffle. It's also really funny, too, that Josh Bellamy gets in on every celebration, whether it's offense, defense, or special teams. I don't know how he manages to do that. Remember the image I sent in the group me of the screened in shot of Chase Daniel and Josh Bellamy of after the Lions game and he's all yes. up and, and Chase's face like ah! <laughs> So it's just Josh. It's just Josh. Which hey, the fact that we haven't had a gripe about him all year too is another positive if you're yeah. looking at positives yep. as well. He's he's a fun he's fun when he's not dropping balls and having to complain <laughs> about it when he's doing his job. But moving on, guys, the last award of the night. And we're going a little long, but it's okay. We're relishing a very special bear season here. Best moment of the year. This can be, you know, anything from that we saw on the field, a game, a certain play, however you want to take it. What's going to be your favorite moment of the 2018 Bears season and why? And Brandon, I'm going to go let you begin that one. Uh, I'm going to begin this with the beginning of training camp, believe it or not, because this is the first year since we've done the podcast that I can regularly go to training camp. Uh, even really actually go because I've had uh, jobs in the in the past summers where it just really prohibits me from going some work in weekends or I'm out of town or something. So the fact that I could go each and every weekend with you guys was a lot of fun. And then gathering all up again and going out to Canton for the, the Hall of Fame game, uh, Brian Erlacher speech, that was a lot of fun to be able to meet fans out there, uh, be able to just hang out with you guys on a, on a regular basis. Uh, was it the, the Licking Lizard or whatever that, that bar Winking. was? Down? 
Winking <laughs> lizard. I couldn't remember what it was. But that was that was a lot of fun to be able to hang out there too as well. So just a lot of a lot of fun memories with training camp and going to Canton this year. I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, uh, those road trips are one. Those are the special things that you remember because again, we do a lot of work in season, and sometimes it feels like. A very, you know, it's a tough grind from week one all the way to here. We had an extra week, so week 18. Um, but to have those moments early on where we all can get together, be in person, uh, talk football, but also just enjoy ourselves because we do this all the time, all year long, and we just see each other through a webcam and texting through, you know, a group me. So to be in person every time, of course, is very special. But how about you, Nick? What's your favorite moment this year? It has to be when I was at Soldier Field to see the Bears clinch the NFC North and also eliminate the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I went with my cousin who'd never been to a Bears game and my good friend Parker who had never been to a Bears game. So to experience that moment with them and then just see finally that the Bears beat the Packers, Soldier Field was electric. It was just, it reminded me back of just 2010 when I was at the, the previous playoff games. And it was just, it felt good knowing that the Bears were officially back. This was a good football team, a playoff football team, and they beat the Packers too. Just just seeing all that unfold and just being back at Soldier Field, that was such a great moment. Um, and I, I wish I could have been in the podcast and been with you guys, but just being there, and I know you guys would have loved to have been there too, just being able to move the towel and just cheer for the defense. And every time they get a sack, yell out boom. And so all those things, just knowing that the Bears are a good football team, I think – when they won the division that really solidified it for me and just for all bears fans knowing that this, this is a legit team and they're going to be here for a while. But I think that was probably the best moment. I like that a lot. I'm jealous. I wasn't there, but I was, I did call you, uh, try to get you on a post game show. I'm sure you were. I didn't even see that even man. See yeah, I did try. I was like, Hey, we'll see if we can just pop Nick on. It didn't work out, but it's okay. Uh, for me, um, I will say as a bears fan, one of my favorite moments this year, was right before kickoff and even kickoff of this last game against the Eagles. Have all the hype of a playoff game. Everyone's talking about a, play, a do or die situation. I'm wondering if they're going to boom at kickoff, which they did, which I felt pretty cool about, you know, trying to help spread the word on that throughout the whole week. But the fact that we can do word of mouth where everyone in attendance who may not even be on social media knows the boom when, you know, the game is kicked off. And I think they actually did it each and every time the Bears kicked off all game long with the old boom. So if that's going to be a new thing. That's awesome that we have a new tradition here in Chicago. Thank you, Matt Nagy, for that. But yeah, that was probably my favorite moment because it's been such a long time to even care about a game as much as I did for that Bears Eagles game. Of course, and result was my one of my least favorite moments of the year. It's funny how the that's what makes football so beautiful, though, is that you can go from one extreme to the other in a matter of a couple of hours. But my favorite moment, on top of going to training camp, on top of winning the division, on top of going to the postseason, had to be our live show that we did to preview Week One because we never did anything like that. It was one of our it was our first time being in person in front of an audience, and of course, live streaming here on YouTube. Uh, a live you know, show. And hopefully we can do more of those in the future because I really like doing that. I found even new technology ways to make that a little bit more easier on us too in the future, but I'm very excited for that. Uh, but to be invited from a fan of our show to do that in his inaugural man cave kind of like convention, that's really cool. And of course, we got all of us together for that. We got an autograph, an old logo that I can't even say what was on it, saying <laughs> it was like our first ever live show. And now that's going to be a Hell of an antique after the whole rebrand here. So for me, guys, that was one of my favorite moments because it kind of felt like we did it. Like we actually reached a point where we're in person. I felt like an actual radio station for a minute, which is kind of neat as well. So to watch, that's like a pinnacle moment for the podcast that I kind of hold dear to my heart a little bit. Um, but again, with a season like this, so many you know special moments, no matter you know when you're looking at it. And that's what really made 2018 
one of my favorite years, you know, pretty much my whole life. So kudos for you guys for being a part of that. You guys were a big one as well. But just to wrap things up, we're done with the awards. That's it. And hopefully you enjoyed that. One word, summarize that season, because I've done that for a lot of games this year, and I think it'd be fitting to end the show that way. And I'm going to do a little Jeopardy music in my head. Mm-hmm. Okay, Brandon, you're up. Uh, memorable. Because uh, this is the first time uh, that we've done the podcast that I've really, really enjoyed to this extent, Bears football. It's it's tough to enjoy by week 14, week 15, a losing team. Uh, so the fact that they're able to, to rebound, be, be 12 and 4, I'm not going to say 12 and 5, 12 and 4 on the regular year uh, <laughs> is. You know, it, it's definitely a memorable one because we've we've had a lot of success this year, not just as as a podcast, but the team as well, and our fan base and everything else has just really, really grown because of the team's success this year. So this is a, a memorable season for a lot of reasons. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Nick? I have to go with exciting because when we get to maybe week 10, 11, you're just like, all right, let's go see who we can draft at this point because my God, it's been one of those seasons again. But it wasn't like that for the Bears. They, it's like, how many more games can we win? Can we get this this first round by? Who are we going to play in the first round of the playoffs? Or, you know, who's going to come to Soldier Field? Who are we going to beat? Those are the questions. So the questions of whether, like, who are we going to draft? And obviously, those are now the questions. But it wasn't during, it wasn't when the football season was still kind of going on, right? Mm-hmm. So it was just exciting to be a part of a winning football team and, you know, being able to preview all all the shows and do all that, that's what made this exciting is that the Bears are good, finally. And they're going to be good for what hope what we hope will be a very long time. But I think exciting would be a good word to, you know, kind of wrap up the season. I like it a lot. For me, just kind of piggybacking off your point, mine's going to be relevancy. The Bears are relevant again. Uh, like you mentioned, we're not looking ahead into the offseason until now. Even then, we're not. We're still taking one more moment to kind of look back. But throughout the year, uh, it was always, what about next? What's next? What can we do next? And to have those conversations about maybe getting a first round by looking into some playoff matchups, it was so refreshing to have the Bears being relevant, especially on defense, uh, a side of the ball that we've always prided ourselves on, being Chicago Bears fans, for all that to come back and for the turnovers to uh, bump up like they did. Such a great year. And for the Bears to be relevant, not just in 2018, but hopefully looking forward to 2019 and beyond is a big reason why I think relevancy is going to be my theme of this past season. It was very memorable. It was very exciting. Um, but also the Bears are relevant again. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we were all hoping for um, for Matt Nagy's first year here as Chicago Bears head coach. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank each and every one of you who have watched live to the replay or even listened to the podcast. And for those here on YouTube, make sure to give the video a thumbs up if you enjoy the show. And for your podcast listeners, make sure to leave your review of our show to help us reach more and more Bears fans just like you. We will be back very soon with our annual State of the Franchise episodes as we begin to lay down the blueprint for the offseason. But who knows? We may be back even sooner because there is a defensive coordinator search going on. Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace are set to meet with the media on Monday. I have a feeling we may come on to talk about that as well. It is the offseason, so we're going to just try to cover it best we can. That's what we do each and every year. But if any breaking news occurs between now and then, expect to hear from us soon on after. But until next time, bear down, Chicago.
personalized can a financial plan be when it's created by one of those robo-advisors? Plugging in standard algorithm to calculate insurance need and future wealth of random human client. Robots don't know you. We do. At Farm Bureau Financial Services, getting to know you always comes first. Together, we'll create a financial plan based on your specific goals. Find a local Farm Bureau advisor at fbfs.com slash protect. It's your future. Let's protect it.